Welcome to From the Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Wilshere, um, from Confidential Tax and Business Services. Uh, this is our <coughs> episode three of the From the Valley Podcast. Um, I have a very special friend of mine and a special guest here today. Uh, his name is Robert Cooper from uh, CPR Insurance Services. Uh, we've been using Robert for our uh, insurance uh, PI and, and building cover for the last seven years. Uh, so welcome along, Robert. Oh, thanks very much, Tim. Pleasure to be here. Yes, yeah, so <coughs> Robert's a very good friend of mine. Uh, he joined the Valley Chamber of Commerce uh, uh, long before that I did, uh, but uh, certainly not known Robert for seven years through networking. Um, so I guess this, uh, I guess a sort of a laid back podcast on a Friday afternoon, we obviously cracked open a couple of mountain goat beers. Um, so we want to probably find out a bit about Robert. Uh, I think Robert, tell, to me, always tells an interesting story, always has an interesting opinion on things around uh, Brisbane and Australia generally, and uh, certainly doesn't shy away from uh, sort of uh, giving his opinion, but that's what makes Robert, Robert. Um, so Robert, uh, I guess when I get started, I guess going way back in time, so Whereabouts were you born and uh, whereabouts was your childhood? Where did you grow up? Uh, well, I was actually born in, uh, in Meriden, England, between Coventry and Birmingham. And uh, my parents were 10 quid tourists, or 10 pound poms, and uh, came out to Australia in 1968. Uh, so I was very young uh, then, and uh, we, we first moved to Adelaide. And that's where I grew up. So growing up in Adelaide, what was it like? What sort of suburbs did you live in there? Um, quote, were you, how were your sort of proximity to the city and that type of thing growing up? Yeah, well, we were um, uh, on the foothills uh, in Adelaide, uh, out in the uh, eastern suburbs. Uh, it was, a, I suppose, classed as a, uh, a middle-class area. And uh, there was a very big Italian community where I grew up, um, and they were all migrants. And uh, there wasn't very ma- many English migrants um, uh, that, uh, that had moved into that particular suburb. But we liked the area. We liked being in the foothills. So, do you have and, brothers and sisters? Yep, I've got two brothers, and. Uh, um, these days, one lives in Geraldton in Western Australia, and the other one still lives in Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and the parents, do they sort of stay around Adelaide once they moved, or? Yep, they're still living in Adelaide. Uh, the ones uh, living in in an uh, area called uh, Oakton, and the other ones uh, living in One Tree Hill. She has a a farm up there. Yep. So I guess did you sort of get involved? You, you were sort of involved in sport growing up a little bit, I think, weren't you? You, you were yeah. Oh, I always loved sport. Always wanted to play sport. Was never really any good at sport, but I, I had a guy, and uh, and I've probably learned that in life is that you've got to have a go at these things, and uh, uh, and so I played Australian rules football. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and cricket, and uh, and uh, eventually I got. Uh, reasonable uh, at cricket, but uh, was uh, always been a hopeless footballer. Yeah. So with the AFL, do you barrack for the one of the Adelaide teams, or is there a team you follow in the comp? Yeah. Uh, back then they had the SANFL. Yep. 
competition. I think they still have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I followed uh, Nord. Yes, Nord, okay. Uh, yeah, which uh, was our local club uh, as well. Uh, but I played most of my football uh, at a club called Paynham, mm-hmm. Paynham Football Club, who are affiliated with with Nord. Uh, um, we had a lot of uh, um, uh, their players who couldn't make their teams come back and play at Paynham. Uh, so, uh, so that was a amateur club. Mm. Yeah. So, with insurance, I mean, when did you first sort of get into the insurance industry? I think you've been in that most of your working life. If correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, tell us yeah. about other work experiences you might have had leading up to that, and how insurance became what your, I guess, uh, really your career centred around. Yeah. Well, when I left school, I, I. I I, I finished year 12, but I didn't have a uh, matriculation result to get me into anything exciting like law or or medicine uh, or even accounting. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and I really didn't know uh, what to do. So I, I, I w- was able to get into a Bachelor of Arts degree. Um, but So I thought I'd take a year off and just consider my options. And uh, and so I applied for jobs because my parents didn't want me just lazing at home in the gap year. And uh, I applied for jobs with banks and finance companies and uh, motoring organisations and uh, and also insurance companies. And uh, one particular insurance company, I think, uh, um, uh, that uh, offered me a job starting in in the mail room uh, and also uh, um, so it was a starting point uh, for me uh, and I just expected to work that year and then uh, and then uh, see how I go at university and uh, but I ended up uh, um, learning about insurance taking an interest in it and found it was a extremely fascinating uh, area um, uh, uh, of uh, society, and uh, I uh, thought to myself, or reassessed at the end of the year, is uh, I wouldn't mind having a, a career in insurance. So, so, how old were you back in back in these days? This is sort of yeah, I was or? I was seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was probably a year younger than I should have been to do year twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Uh, uh, so yes, started out at seventeen, and uh, uh, and then um, lobbied uh, uh, different department heads uh, uh, at the company I was working for, which was uh, um, well, they're known as Lumley now. They've been swallowed up by CGU these days, but uh, called Edward Lumley and Sons uh, uh, back then, and. Uh, um, motor insurance was particularly big, and um, uh, the, the motor insurance manager um, agreed to have me move into his department. And uh, I started off as an underwriter, a motor underwriter, and uh, dealing with customers over the phone, selling um, private motor insurance uh, covers to them. Mm. And from there, I was moved into what they called the service centre area, which involved dealing with customers face-to-face, 
which uh, I didn't realise so many people were scared of dealing with customers face to face, but uh, I didn't mind it. Yeah. And uh, that, and then that expanded out to householders insurance, and then um, uh, then the company had some um, restructures, and uh, the householders and motor insurance areas were sold off to RAA insurance and uh, the rest of the business uh, um, became Lumley General Insurance and uh, moved out of the building and so so uh, my career took a turn with um, RAA Insurance and, uh, uh, and uh, so I stayed with with that for about 10 years so so um, all your 20s basically or yeah yeah uh, and then uh, I got to a point where I felt I wasn't going any further I had been studying part-time what were you studying back then um, it was called the associateship of the Australian Insurance Institute and uh, they still have that qualification but uh, they've since merged with the New Zealand Insurance Institute, so it's had its name changed. But uh, so I got my associateship, and I felt that I that I should try uh, something else. So I decided to try insurance broking, and uh, I got a job with an international insurance broker called Sedgwick, which has uh, uh, since been swallowed up by Marsh uh, Marsh McLennan and. Uh, um, from there, I learned how to be a broker. Yeah. So back in those sort of days, did you find uh, working life fairly easy, or were you working hard a lot of the time, or what, how did you sort of did you sort of have a knack for getting through every day? Or well, when I was with uh, Lumleys and RAA Insurance, yeah, it, it uh, work work life was pretty easy. Uh, I had time to um, play football and cricket and go to the gym and I even uh, tried my hand at uh, running a marathon um, wow. back then so but I did notice that when I became an insurance broker uh, that took up a lot more time um, yes yeah, so obviously going into being a broker so so how old were you when you first sort of got into that part of the broking yeah I was I turned just turned 30 yeah um, and uh, uh, when I became an insurance broker um, and started off at the bottom rung uh, of insurance broking, which is um, which we now call account broker. Yep. So you know, you're basically assisting more senior brokers uh, in placing risks. And, and this uh, is sort of still living in Adelaide and... Yeah, still living in Adelaide uh, and uh, it, it was... Uh, uh, great experience. I uh, uh, bought my own home unit by that stage, and uh, just near the football club that I played football and cricket at. So, um, so I could spend more time there. Uh, but uh, um, but I started spending less and less time uh, and focusing on a career. Yeah. And so, when, uh, when, how, so when did you first meet Mandy? How old? How long ago was that? Uh, well, it was about 22 years ago. Uh, I, I met Mandy, my now wife. And, so about 96. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, it, it was '96 because uh, the Olympics uh, were on on then, and I remember uh, watching some of it at uh, her parents' place. So yeah, it would, that would have been yeah. the Atlanta. Was that Atlanta? Wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. I remember Muhammad Ali uh, lighting the uh, yeah. the flame. Yeah. Or uh, something that shot up a rope and then. Um, and she was obviously uh, in insurance as well when you met. You met, met through work or met through? Yeah, we met through through work. Uh, with the the company I had moved on to from Sedgwick was a, a company called Willis. Uh, back then it was called Willis Caroon. These days they're known as uh, Willis uh, uh, Towers Watson or or something. Um, and uh, but we also we wholesaled. Uh, more complicated risks uh, uh, to other smaller insurance brokers because we had access to international markets being an international broker and so uh, there was a, a few risks that we wholesaled for the company that Mandy was working for and, and I got to know her quite well over the phone mm. and then we agreed to meet up one 30th of June to celebrate the uh, end of financial year which which is a particular milestone in the insurance industry because it's um june's the busiest year in the insurance industry so uh we met up and uh and became friends and and then gradually became closer and closer and yeah so i guess um that's 1996 and then i guess the next 14 or 15 years you're sort of still working um i guess for other employers and um when did you yeah. actually move to Brisbane? What what time frame was that? that was yeah, sort of well, um, I'd, I'd been working for five years with Willis, um, and uh, it got to the uh, point where I, I was working longer and longer hours. Uh, in fact, I think I got up to about eighty hours a week. Shit. And uh, and uh, I was uh, also trying to study uh, and do an MBA. Uh, what MBA were you doing? Was it in, anything in particular, or no? Um, it was uh, when I, I, I moved on from my associateship, uh, and uh, and when I went to Willis, I got my fellowship. Then I got a graduate diploma of insurance, and then uh, the lecturer pointed out to me that I was halfway through an MBA. One, I go on and complete that. Yep. And and I had been enjoying studying at that point, mainly because it was all about insurance. Uh, and which was my interest. The MBA uh, started getting into other areas of business, such as managerial accounting mm. uh, um, and uh, organisational behaviour, uh, HR management and uh, marketing. And I thought, oh, these are all useful subjects. Mm. So um, I uh, decided to do an MBA. Uh, I was also fortunate enough to get a scholarship uh, from Willis to do it, um, and uh, unfortunately, that sort of crea- created a few a few jealousies in the office, and uh, um, the work started uh, being piled up on me, uh, and uh, ended up uh, uh, at one point where. Um, uh, one of the staff had left, and uh, we got told that they weren't replacing him. 
And when I said, oh, who's going to do his work? And they said, uh, you are, Robert. And I, said, and I was already working 80 hours a week. Jesus. I thought, uh, so I, I can't I can't do any more uh, work. I already think I'm working for um, uh, doing two people's jobs now. And I'm trying to study. So um, Manny and I discussed it and we made the decision that I would take uh, uh, a year off um, and do my MBA full time. And uh, that very same boss that had given me a job at Lumley's uh, in the motor insurance area, uh, he offered me a, a job part time um, uh, doing various things in, in in the Lumley office. So I actually went back to Lumley's part time, uh, and you know, I was doing anything from claims to uh, heavy motor rating uh, um, and uh, and motor underwriting. Uh, again, uh, which I found um, relatively easy, and uh, so that kept me in the insurance industry. And I then studied uh, full time my MBA, and um, and when I completed that at the end of the year, um, I said to Mandy, "I feel all uh, psyched up to try something new and challenging." Uh, and uh, and I got offered a job with the AMP working in um, Central and North Queensland, and I thought that would be a great uh, challenge and thing to do. Move away from Adelaide for a while, and uh, so I got a job with the AMP back as an underwriter. Um, what well, a role that they probably describe as a business development manager in the insurance industry now and um, we decided to move to uh, Yapoon. Uh, the uh, AMP office was in Rockhampton and... and uh, what year was that you moved to Yapoon? Uh, beginning of 2000. Yeah. And uh, oh, I just uh, uh, loved the people in Queensland. They were just so easy going and laid back. They were my, my sort of people. Uh, and uh, I just uh, fell in love with the state. I got to travel, um, you know, all the way out to Longreach or all the way up to uh, Cairns, Port Douglas. So in my job for, uh, and I did that job for five years, I got to see a fair bit of the state and, uh, and yeah, and just about everyone were, were really great people and, uh, and I've, Really good memories of uh, um, um, uh, that part of Queensland, and I, I was happy to stay up there. But Mandy felt that uh, we agreed five years up there, and then look at uh, moving on. And, and I said, "Oh, I don't want to move back to Adelaide. Uh, I love Queensland." And so we compromised and moved to Brisbane, and. Uh, Found the people in Brisbane just as nice mm. and wonderful, and uh, and I've uh, never been happier than uh, living um, uh, in Queensland uh, for the last eighteen and a half years. And uh, about the same uh, amount of time that I've been in Queensland. I mean, I've been moved up here um, to Brisbane from Tasmania, as you know. Um, yeah. In the year two thousand, so uh, I always I, I, get, I call myself a Northside 
person though, I guess. I <laughs> lived on the south side for one year. But you, yeah. you always lived on the north side when you've been in Brisbane? Yeah, we had some good friends of ours that, that uh, lived in Yapoon and um, uh, and they'd moved down to Brisbane about a year before us and we uh, went and stayed with them a few times um, about a year before we decided to move down to Brisbane. And uh, they lived in, well, they lived in Kelvin Grove first up, and then uh, and then they moved into Newmarket, and and I got to uh, know uh, the Wilston area, um, and 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 when we were thinking about, you know, it would be nice to move down here, uh, we had a look around those suburbs near them. Uh, because they live fairly close to Anogra Creek. At, uh, uh, we went further up the hill um, uh, and liked the, uh, quite liked the suburbs of Wilson and Grange. Yeah, uh, had, had those old classic uh, uh, Queenslanders. Um, and uh, yeah, we quite liked uh, Windsor and Lutwich as well. Yep. Uh, but what, what drew us to, to Grange was the... Uh, um, Kedron Brook and uh, the parks, mm. um, and uh, um, and and also the, the house prices were a little bit cheaper than Wilson. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so we 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 sold our home uh, in Yapoon and uh, uh, bought a home in Grange, and. Um, we're very happy there, and uh, Grange is very much like a, yeah. a, a like a country town in uh, central or north Queensland, uh, and it, but it's also close to the city. It's only five kilometres yeah, from the city. Very close to everything there. So yeah. I guess jumping to I guess when you made the sort of big move to jump in and start your own business, tell us a bit about that process. You know what sort of made you decide to do that and how it all came together because I remember in the fairly early days when you were first sort of you know you hadn't sort of been in business very long when I met you yeah yeah no yeah because you, you, um, uh, that would be right um, well I when we moved down to Brisbane I, I was uh, hoping to uh, um, buy into a brokerage buy an uh, existing business type thing yeah, or, yeah. Um, and I knew you couldn't buy one yourself. Um, it really needed to go into partnership with someone, and and I found in them um, someone that said that they were willing to do that. So I joined them. Um, but after about a year, it became clear that uh, that was sort of a, more like a carrot dangling exercise, just to get a, uh, someone experienced into the office uh, at a relatively low pay. So uh, uh, I then moved to Aon. Um, so that ended up being the third international insurance broker I worked for. Uh, and, and so I worked with them for about three years and um, the global financial crisis happened and uh, they wanted to get rid of staff, and I was one of the the lucky ones. But uh, fortunately, uh, shortly after, uh, uh, another insurance broker offered me a job, 
and and that job um, was basically uh, it started off filling in for someone that was off uh, for the next 12 months uh, having cancer treatment um, and uh, with the promise that you know that I'd still have a job at the end of it uh, but uh, uh, it uh, got to a point where um, yeah, he came back to work uh, and uh, a few months later they decided to re retrench retrench me uh, also so so basically I had uh, two re retrenchments in a space of about uh, 15 months or mm. something yeah and yeah, yeah. I I'd, uh, um, it, it affected me fairly badly because uh, you know, I, I, um, it, it doesn't go well if you look like you've lost your job uh, mm. twice in 18 months. But when I was in that last job, I, I was basically told to uh, build up my own book of business. And uh, I built up a, a, a reasonable book um, with them in the, in the time I had there. Uh, obviously wasn't good enough for them but uh, uh, but uh, I thought well you know I did this all myself um, and uh, I, I should be able to do that myself in my own business so I looked into uh, getting my own breaking insurance breaking license but in the in the in the past um, um, Ten years, the uh, uh, legislation had uh, come in and uh, made it a lot more difficult to get a broking license. It was, it was a substantial cost, uh, and, and while I was qualified to do it, um, the other problem was being able to access insurers. The great thing about being an insurance broker is you can uh, access various insurance markets and get your clients uh, the best possible deal. But one of the problems with the insurance companies is that they don't want to deal with someone that's really small or just starting out. Um, they usually want you to have a certain amount of premium income with them before they think about servicing uh, you. And uh, so the difficulty there is that um, you, you're not offering that full range of insurance to uh, uh, your customers if there's certain markets you can't access. So the next alternative was to look at being an authorised representative uh, of a yes. licence holder. And uh, I, I discovered that uh, there were insurance brokers that had deliberately set themselves up and what we call a, an authorised representative model yes. where uh, they weren't intending to employ any of their own brokers will be a broker themselves but what they do is set up all the systems mm. for uh, other brokers to uh, to use and so um, so I drew up uh, business plans that's when the where the MBA became pretty handy and uh, and uh, and uh, looked at the different authorized representative groups and we ended up with uh, NAS insurance brokers, yep. and uh, we joined them uh, as an authorised representative, or AR, mm. the acronym that uh, they like to use with it. And it was as a corporate AR, which meant 
we uh, could uh, use our own branding and we're responsible for our um, own marketing uh, and so we uh, my time at Willis I'd learned to specialise in uh, professional indemnity insurance and, and professional indemnity was my favourite form of insurance so when I started the business up I started up as Cooper Professional Risks yeah, you're going for the sort of niche market with that sort of name and, and yeah. saying, look, we're, we are the ones to, to look after your PI. Yeah. So your accountants, your, 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 um, you do got lawyers as clients, I assume. Yeah, we do doctors. some top-up solicitors yeah. uh, cover uh, and so forth. So that's where I focused. and uh, But it became fairly evident that uh, I was starting to get referrals from people and they, it wasn't all professional indemnity insurance, and also yeah, after you six wanted to be a general insurance broker and uh, yeah, you know, have a really good solution there. I mean, Mandy was obviously with you, you know, from day one when you started CPR Insurance Services. Oh no, she joined me about six months well, later. Was it a little bit later? Yeah, yeah. but when she joined, much. yeah, when she joined me, she sort of. Uh, uh, focused on the non-professional indemnity stuff, and yeah, all the uh, just, public liability and yeah. office and built possibly buildings and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so we decided on a trading name of uh, CPR Insurance Services. I still tried to push the uh, Cooper Professional Risks uh, on the P- PI or professional indemnity side, but of course, uh, yeah. uh, but since since then we basically have uh, marketed ourselves as as CPR Insurance Services and. Uh, half our half our book is professional indemnity insurance, uh, but the other half uh, is full of lots of other interesting risks um, in the property and products liability area. And Mandy mainly looks after uh, those risks, and and I've still been able to specialise in professional indemnity uh, as a result. So we've got the best of both worlds, and we complement each other yeah definitely work very well together and both you know so much time for you guys i mean it's it's um you know we've had some uh great times over the last seven years since we've known one another and uh but uh yeah so it's i guess in those early years um building things up i mean obviously it was never it's not wasn't always a smooth sailing process um, running a small business, as you know, you've seven and a half years, I think, roughly, you've been in this. Yeah. Um, but you've got to a point now where you've you've got a couple of staff members on. You know, you've got um, is it Julie? Julia. Yeah. And Julia, sorry, yeah. and um, the young a- fella, Aiden. Aiden. Yeah. So, you've got a couple of staff. So you're building enough to be able to keep those guys busy and and all of that type of thing. Doing doing a bit of admin stuff as well. Um, do you feel like you've achieved quite a bit to be able to, to be able to employ some staff, pretty much starting from scratch? Um, where do you think you're going to take things in the future with CPR? Where are things are going to go? Well, uh, I think we, we've been, uh, uh, as you know, because uh, uh, we're fortunate to have you as our accountant, Tim, um, <laughs> and uh, we've been growing at about fifteen percent. Um, each year, which yeah. I think is a comfortable amount of growth, and it's fairly um, consistent growth too. Yeah, uh, we, we've hit a, a, a period of the insurance market where rates are hardening, they are. Um, and that can have 
a twofold effect. Uh, you can lose clients as a result uh, if they um, um, uh, feel uh, you know that they can't afford those higher premiums, and or um, they accept those higher premiums, and uh, we do earn more commission. Uh, from those higher premiums as a result. So we're not really sure uh, what this year is going to, 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 to do, but I, I think it will still be above 15%. But it has been very busy for us uh, um, since the market started to harden uh, because we've had to remarket uh, um, all our clients' risks mm. and uh, we've seen We've been able to find cheaper alternatives than they're existing, and uh, we move them on to those. Uh, and that's why you, uh, an insurance broker uses the insurance market to get the best solutions for his client. So retention uh, of your clients is paramount, um, and uh, and you, you back that up with good customer service, but also by doing the right job as an insurance broker which is to uh, buy them the best possible cover at the best possible price and uh, and that's how we've been handling this this current challenging market if this challenging market persists uh, uh, then which it, it might for another two or three years it's it's likely that we'll we'll have to put on uh, another trainee um, uh, Aiden's currently our trainee and he's almost finished his uh, um, his traineeship and and we want to move him into a broking role and uh, he's he's just got to build up uh, experience so we'll start him on uh, um, the, the less challenging types of risks and we want to bring someone on to uh, um, replace what he's doing now so hopefully we'll graduate to three insurance brokers and be able to man manage all our clients' uh, uh, risks uh, um, uh, as three brokers and uh, still have some support staff uh, uh, with us along the way. But as you know, you've got to build up a, a reasonable turnover to be able to justify employing extra staff. and. And uh, when you're a small business, uh, there's certain points where you, you've got to uh, jump in and do that. Um, you want to offer someone a long-term career? Yeah, I've got a few sort of things. Um, but, I mean, there's a couple of things, comments I'll make. I mean, what I'm very impressed about is obviously when, it, when a claim does go in, you guys are very good at um, uh, making sure that, the, you know, that your uh, client basically gets paid and everything. You, you'll jump through hopes, you'll fly to Mackay or do whatever needs to be done in order yeah. to make sure those claims get paid. So I just want to say that off the bat that that's that's quite impressive and you know that's certainly um, beyond beyond um, what most people would maybe expect. But the other thing too I forgot to mention at the top of the podcast was that you guys are award winning brokers too. You've, you've won a few awards recently. Um, just go through yeah. those awards that you sort of managed to win recently. Yeah well uh, in May uh, we got a awarded uh, insurance brokerage of, uh, of the year uh, for, and that's for one to five staff. Um, we were a finalist uh, in the overall insurance brokerage of the year but uh, uh, ironically we got beaten by Aon but they are, 
the largest. Here in Tom, the they are the largest insurance broker in Australia, and yeah, it's a, it'll be a David and Goliath story if we knock them off. But well, we we're pre- pretty proud to uh, get insurance brokerage of the, of the year uh, for uh, our size category, and and that was a tremendous accolade. Uh, we um, we had to provide a submission and, and and say you know what we'd achieved and we basically it was a good exercise actually because it, it made us reflect on what we had achieved uh, um, being successful isn't all all about uh, um, uh, having achieving tons of money and so forth it's also about a, uh, achieving things that give you personal satisfaction and uh, uh, and we, we wrote that down in our submission and we included testimonials from the people that we'd uh, um, battled for to get their claims paid and uh, as well as uh, uh, other notable uh, well-known people in the insurance industry that uh, uh, we've uh, um, got to know and asked got them to put their opinions of us yeah I mean that celebration you held that was that was really really good uh, inviting all yeah. your clients to come along to help to help sort of um, celebrate about a month or so ago it was um, just, yeah. just really really good uh, a few things so we've most most industries as you know get disrupted um, so we'll talk a little bit about disruption yeah um, our industry gets you know potentially gets disrupted by by software doing stuff for, that bookkeepers and accountants can do. Yeah. Um, there's always driving the price down for you know for uh, that type of thing. Uh, where does sort of um, disruption? Where is that going to sort of go in your industry? Do you think? It, it's hard to know. There's definitely, there's a big investment in what they call the insure tech um, area. Uh, the a, a lot of insurance companies themselves are developing uh, a lot of different uh, uh, software systems to make it easy to get quotes from them uh, quickly. Uh, uh, however, uh, the complicated risks uh, still come up needing to be referred to an underwriter. Uh, that does slow down that, that process, but the easy risks uh, can be done fairly quickly. Well, the, the common stuff, yeah, would... Yeah would be a lot easier to I mean, it's like a car insurance these days very easy to get a car insurance quote you just it's just there yeah, the, the text there um, that's not obviously where, where your business is but it's just showing where that that sort of tech right. is but you know well, but that's a good example because yeah with quoting systems you know you, you can get a quote for a, um, you know, a five-year-old Holden Commodore uh, uh, pretty easily if, uh, if you're a 40 year old uh, a driver and uh, you've got uh, no driving offences and had no accidents mm. uh, and, but then if you put in the uh, uh, the inputs that uh, you're an 18 year old and you've uh, already had your licence suspended um, uh, for a period due to too many speeding fines suddenly that becomes a complicated risk. It does, yeah. It yep. becomes very difficult to try and find an insurer to Accept uh, the cover to start with, but also to charge a reasonable premium. Mm. Uh, mm. So, while motor insurance is considered one of the easier areas of uh, our business, uh, I mean, the, the, they have their um, complex or complicated yeah. issues too. But, uh, 
Uh, what just one thing? I know, I know we've sort of been talking all about insurance, but this, you are you're the insurance man. Um, obviously, over more recent years, it's it, you know obviously been having cyber cover has become pretty mandatory. You tell tell me a little bit about because some of the listeners may not understand what's what cyber cover actually covers. How does that that type of insurance actually work? Just to, you know, in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah. Well, when I started uh, our business, so I. I was reading up on um, um, different uh, areas of insurance. Uh, the, uh, overseas in America and uh, Europe, they uh, were talking about cyber risks. And, uh, and this is uh, what, about eight years ago. And I thought, well, that could be a niche area for our business to, to go in. I even jokingly made reference to uh, CPR actually standing for cyber and privacy risk and but it was clear that uh, um, people's computer systems were able to be uh, either hacked into confidential information stolen uh, crime committed by um, you know, transferring funds yep. uh, uh, and so forth and then there was quite a few other different types of uh, cyber incidents for, for instance uh, denial of service uh, if someone wanted to uh, make a website crash and be out of action for a while, uh, they had uh, systems where everyone wanted to access that website at the same time and as a result the website couldn't cope and it would uh, crash. So, mm. so we started having all these terms for different uh, cyber events and, and you've probably heard of ransomware. Yes, where, yeah. You know, you can click on an email link and then suddenly find the... All of a sudden, yeah, everything's locked up, yeah. Phishing emails. Uh, the the latest thing is what they're calling social engineering type risks, which I, overseas they've narrowed it down to things like fraudulent instruction, where you get an email that looks uh, or, uh, like it's from um, a fellow staff member uh, or you know the director of the company, and it looks absolutely authentic. Uh, all the logos are yep. exactly the same. Uh, even they've used the email address uh, from that person uh, and they're giving instructions to the accountant or financial controller to transfer funds to a particular account and uh, um, that uh, financial controller does what he's told and so I guess it turns out that it's, uh, it's actually a, a fake email. Mm. So that, that's the sort of risks involved. What about the, what is the premium when you're paying premium for that? I mean, and you need to make a claim. What, what's the expectation there? What, what, are, what are the underwriters looking for and that type of thing? Well, it depends on the nature of the event, but uh, the, the insurers that have now come in into the market in the last five years uh, have recognised the need to uh, have a, um, a panels of uh, IT experts, uh, lawyers, um, public relations or crisis managers, um, uh, uh, in there uh, uh, to be the first port of call if something happens. So now they have you know, a, a designated number that you, you call and say, this has happened to my um, computer system. Mm. And, uh, and they then, depending on that type of event, they then uh, call in certain experts to minimise mm. uh, further loss or potential loss and uh, deal with the matter. 
so very much depends. There's so many different types of yeah. you know, cyber uh, attacks. Me- me- measuring a loss for something like that, that wouldn't be always easy to do, would it? Or Well, it depends what it is. Mm. Uh, I mean, if it's a you know, crypto locker and they ask for um, uh, one Bitcoin uh, as the ransom, well, then... Um, uh, and you get your systems back, well, that's probably something that um, they might, may choose to actually pay the ransom so they can at least get all their systems back mm. up and running. But uh, if uh, someone's committed a crime uh, mm. and stolen uh, funds, uh, that can be uh, a lot more complicated to resolve. Uh, and and uh, So basically, now it's sort of like uh, um, these uh, the insurers are, uh, are promoting more their first response panels uh, to these things. So the the issue you have with uh, um, say someone hacking into your, your computer systems and taking it over is you need uh, um, your IT costs covered. You, know, you need IT consultants to come in and uh, yep. try and get rid of the virus or whatever's been input in there, spyware, and and, and then uh, there's a loss of income if, you, if your systems are out, um, you're not able to um, transact any business. Everyone's using computer systems now to uh, process their work. You know, use systems, uh, uh, portals to the ATO and, um, and uh, software to prepare accounts and and so forth. Uh, if those are all down and uh, and you can't access your clients' files, uh, then you, you're going to lose income uh, mm. for that period. You might even lose customers as a result. Yeah, definitely. And, you would, uh, yeah. So there's a, a, a segment of the cover that covers that business interruption loss. Yep. Uh, then there's the responsibilities you have to the law. You know, you've, you've, there's now mandatory breach reporting. Uh, so you, you have to uh, report the matter um, to a government body and you have to follow their their rules about how that matter is dealt with and so you need someone who knows those laws quite well to make sure that you are being compliant with them. Uh, also then there's your brand reputation that gets damaged. So you know, you, uh, that's where the public relations or crisis managers come in are able to deal with concerned customers that their uh, data might be used uh, wrongly or uh, um, you know, perhaps perhaps it's uh, uh, credit cards or bank accounts uh, uh, um, that have been taken and uh, those have been used mm. to be manipulated uh, for your customers. So you have that liability risk of being responsible for other people who uh, uh, suffer mm. uh, financial loss or uh, uh, breach of their privacy uh, with their own personal details being released to the public. Yeah. So we're seeing uh, uh, medical centres, accounting firms um, and also uh, um, uh, things like banks. Um, even a few years ago Sony PlayStation was hacked into and credit card details of their uh, the gaming community yeah. uh, were taken. So seeing all those sorts of attacks now. Definitely. It's definitely quite scary what's out there when it comes to um, 
that you know the cyber hacking and all that type of thing so that's been quite yeah quite interesting all that insurance so some of the other things i mean obviously i, I know that you love networking networking is one of the things that um i guess makes you to a degree you always see you out there at different different networking events um obviously part of rotary as well uh how long have you been in rotary for when did you first get into rotary well when we uh, moved to Yapoon, um i thought one of the best ways to get to know people in town uh, was to join you know, either a sporting club or something like Rotary. So uh, in I joined uh, the Rockhampton Capricorn Rotary Club uh, in 2000 and, uh, and when we moved down to Brisbane I transferred to um, the Rotary Club of Windsor which is now known as the uh, Brisbane Inner North Rotary. Basically, um, I, I love being a Rotarian because it's an opportunity with a whole bunch of other people to, to give back uh, in various ways, either to your local community or internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rotary's been responsible for uh, almost eradicating polio from the world, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's been a huge job, and uh, it's one that's still going, unfortunately. But yeah. um, and the other thing that you guys, you're doing something with the Ecker, aren't you, next week? Yeah, we're uh, um, part of our fundraising is to, uh, um, uh, there's a, a business that's allowed us to have access to their car parks uh, at, at weekends and also on People's Day, the, the Wednesday, uh, which we have off, and, uh, and we're basically selling that car parking spot for $30 for the day. And that all goes to obviously charity, which is really yeah. The charity really great. chosen this year is for the uh, guide dogs for the blind. Yes, yeah. Uh, no. and that, uh, we, we quite often will pick a uh, a new charity um, mm. uh, to uh, concentrate on. Last year it was Hummingbird House, mm. and uh, and then there's some charities that we've been supporting for quite a few years, like the Pajama Foundation and Karuna Hospice, and. Uh, um, but uh, um, so whether it's international or local um, charities, um, it gives us a lot of satisfaction knowing what we can contribute in a small way, uh, giving of your time, um, you know, basically uh, means you know, being there, mm. uh, out there, uh, and uh, asking people to buy a car park and swap, yeah. and uh, trying to reassure them that. It's all going for a, uh, to a good cause, and I get to park right by the Ecker. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the Ecker again. Uh, I'm out there working on the Sunday stand. You know, oh, yeah, so that should be should be good. Um, the Kedron Brook Business Group. Now, this is a group that you founded. Um, we're sort of talking still in the in this sort of inner north area. Yeah. Um, you know, if it wasn't for you guys and a few others, that wouldn't that would never have got off the ground. But that seems to, over the years, that seemed to have had quite a few good breakfasts around the area. That's, um, you know, need to plug. That's always the last Wednesday of the month, isn't it? Yeah, um, that's right. When, where's the next one going to be held? Uh, Cafe Freer in Wilston Village. Cafe Freer. Is, yeah. is that a new one or? Yeah, it is relatively new. It's uh, it's next door to. Uh, Citroen restaurant across the road from Alcove uh, Cafe and uh, our guest speaker is our local 
Member of Parliament, uh, uh, Trevor Evans. May I, yeah, Trevor. And, uh, and we've got him to tell us what uh, the federal government uh, uh, is doing for small business. I've sent an invitation to Trevor to get on the podcast as well, so hopefully he'll come on. Yeah, he, some. Me- he mentioned that. I saw him last night and he mentioned that you um, uh, asked him to do that. So I nah. keen. Oh, that's good. No, he's a good guy. I mean... Um, you know, obviously there's there's Labor and Liberal, but you know it's always it's depending on the the personality sometimes in the area. If you've got the right sort of person looking after the, you know the electorate as well, and I think um, oh, well we've got some fantastic locals. He's uh, definitely. Um, uh, we've got Dr. Anthony Lynham, uh, who's turned out to be a fantastic local member uh, in the state government and uh, and councillor. We've got Councillor Fiona King. Yeah. She, and, and Vicky Howard also in in the sort of valley area as well. Yeah, in the valley area, Vicky Howard. She's one of the hardest working councillors uh, I've ever known. She's just been made chairman of field services in Brisbane City Council, uh, and uh, so she's a terrific lady and a hardworking person. And, and we've got to know them through Rotary and the Valley Chamber of Commerce, uh, and and also by forming Kedron Brook Business Group. Uh, the Kedron Brook Business Group uh, uh, morphed out of a previous group called uh, Wilson Grange Business Community. Yes, I remember which, uh, that. Um, uh, be, uh, and uh, we decided to create a rotary project. Uh, uh, it is sponsored by the Rotary Club of Inner North, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the KBBG. Yep, uh, Rotary Club of Brisbane and the North uh, uh, generously uh, pay for all our running costs and uh, we recognise them and we uh, repay them by having a Rotary Minute uh, at each meeting uh, that we, we hold and, uh, and just to let people know what uh, our local Rotary Club is doing. Yeah, it would be nice if some of the uh, people that came to our breakfast uh, uh, could, could join Rotary. Well, we do have a number that have uh, joined Rotary uh, uh, that, that come along, and uh, uh, but it would be nice if because uh, uh, Rotary started off as a businessman's uh, yeah. uh, club trying to give back to the community, mm. and it would be nice if that concept was maintained. And because Rotary has declining numbers, as most clubs and community groups do around the world, and. Uh, and I, I certainly believe it's important to engage with your local community and, and get involved with your local clubs. And that was something I learned from uh, uh, living in the country, mm. uh, Rockhampton and New Perm, that uh, you, know, um, uh, you, you, you might earn uh, a living uh, from your job, but uh, give back because uh, um, that, that's, that's what uh, uh, makes it a, a great community and a great country. Yeah, and, uh, and so I've, I've got to practice what I preach. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, but yeah, with the networking, uh, it's you know I've I've never believed that you should just walk around trying to sell something to, to people. I, I've I've very much really wanted to take an interest in people, uh, let them know who I am, and if they feel that. Uh, I'm someone they could do business with, um, then uh, um, uh, they can. Um, they know I'll, I'll, I'll look 
after them. And uh, so I don't, uh, with my networking, it's not about saying, oh, you know, you should let me quote on your insurance. Uh, no, I, I've, yeah, no exactly. I've taken interest in uh, what, what they do, <coughs> what their business is, and uh, uh, because everyone's got a, a fantastic uh, story to tell. Um, you've heard a lot of my story uh, today, but uh, everyone else has got a very interesting story to tell. Exactly. It's sort of very, I mean, <clears throat> especially as you get closer to the, you know, the inner sanctum of Brisbane, you seem to sort of run into people you know all the time. It's, yeah, you know, be it um, Brisbane City, you know, these groups that we join and uh, people that people that just know people. It's just, it's pretty crazy when you look at that sort of thing. Um, so what are the, I, I guess, what are the, some of the things that you, I do follow your Twitter and I do see some of your comments that you put on Twitter sometimes, Robert. Yeah. Um, I think I saw one about the, the taxi drivers in Uber the other day. Um, you said something about, uh, yeah, the, obviously the taxi licenses, it's, yeah. it's not, a, not a good thing about uh, that they, um, you know, there's a lot of devaluation in, in their sort of businesses and yeah, stuff like I, that. I, I once made up my own quote, which is uh, someone's innovation is somebody else's disruption. Exactly. And I was thinking about uh, Uber and their effect on taxi drivers. There are there are two sides of the, of the story which uh, yeah. I do appreciate. Um, with the, uh, but I, 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 and we've got to know um, people through the Valley Chamber of Commerce that are involved with the uh, uh, yellow cabs. For yes, instance, yeah. Like Alfie. Yep. And um, there was uh, 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 government regulations that uh, uh, saw a, a number of licences issued to uh, a specific group of people so that they could run taxis on the road. And... Uh, and those tax uh, licences uh, started to grow and grow in value. Uh, I don't know why they didn't have a, a system where they could be issued each year um, at, a, at a, a low cost, but uh, they climbed up to 50,000, 100,000 over. They got to, uh, figures like 500,000 a licence. Yeah, that's quite. And people invested a lot of money, usually the security was their home. And, no, and going back in those days, you, when you're looking at those for investments, you, these were these were pretty good returns on investment. You know, these were uh, premium type things. So you couldn't, you know, you had to be pretty lucky to even have them. Yeah, and so people invested uh, in them, relying on the fact that they, they wouldn't go down in value. Mm. Um, but while they held on to that uh, taxi license, they were able to generate a reasonable income. Um, some of them, you know, they uh, hired uh, additional drivers, so they became employers, and they'd run their car 24 hours a, uh, a day, and uh, uh, in 
insurance premiums for tax, taxis are very expensive because mm -hmm. uh, of the amount of times they're on the road. And then we saw uh, a disruptor come along with a very unique uh, uh, piece of software that you, you, know, you can easily download on your phone and connect to your credit card. And, um, and we saw uh, a competition come in with uh, uh, Uber. And uh, Uber started off, you know, it was clearly illegal. Uh, a lot it of, certainly was, yeah. A lot of the drivers uh, only had private insurance, and there's a, an exclusion in private insurance uh, motor policies that says that uh, you're not covered uh, if your vehicle is being used for higher fare or reward. Um, so, uh, so when some of them discovered that, then they'd come to us asking to insure their vehicles. Of course, uh, they were quoted uh, the uh, taxi premiums and of course they'd object to that. Yeah, of course. Because a lot of them um, just work uh, you know, one or two days a week and mm. just, uh, supplement their income, uh, something mm. to do while they're studying at university or whatever. It's become, I, mean, I think with Uber now, it's, it's certainly becoming more of a way of life even. It's just, once you sort of get used to it and the more people that are using it, it is becoming yeah. an oversaturation. It's it's um, it's quite, it's it's weird to sort of see that change over the last few years, I think. Yeah, um, so, so eventually the, uh, the government knew that they weren't going to stop that illegal um, operation and... Uh, they decided to legalise it, and which meant they could regulate them and make sure they abided by workplace health and safety laws, and, mm. and got a GST component paid and so forth. But the, um, the the ramifications of that decision has meant that uh, uh, the taxi industry has seen yeah. the value of their licences fall considerably. And you, you know what it's like if you were to buy a house. You know, you, spend say half a million dollars on your house and then and then find out uh, that uh, 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 when you go to sell it uh, a few years later it's only worth a hundred thousand uh, fortunately that doesn't tend to happen with houses but it's happened with uh, taxi uh, licenses and the sad thing is that uh, when I hear about someone um, so depressed by what's happened that they end up uh, committing suicide uh, their marriages break up uh, and it, it causes that sort of disrupt, disruption in the community then yeah so I sort of uh, want people to be aware that um, when they're ignoring the taxi uh, industry and yeah look it's not always easy to, to find a taxi but when you're ignoring the taxi industry there's some victims of uh, a new innovation yeah now, I mean we're, we don't all, all have to embrace innovation when we when we don't we're not seen as cool but mm. sometimes there's a bigger picture uh, out there and, mm. and well, I've, uh, I've kept faith with yeah. taxi drivers myself and uh, and I've been happy to stick up for them yeah. one thing I'm certainly going to be following over the next 12 months and see how it all plays out is um, see if there's any disruption to the, more disruption to the banking industry because um a lot of these fintechs that are sort of coming into play at the moment. Of, I don't know if you've heard about any of these companies like Vault Bank and Zinja, um, yeah. Neo, Neo Banks. Um, not many people know about what's going on out there at the moment, but 
you know, I, I say that in a year's time that they it'll be like Uber. They'll it'll yeah. it'll it'll be one of those things where the marketing will be there. Um, the banks will just come off the royal commission. It's to me it could be it could be something that people might jump on, but it'd be interesting yeah. to see what happens. The other threat is a cryptocurrency uh, as well. Yeah, so crypto, bitcoins and all that sort of had their moment sort of coming up to Christmas last year, skyrocketing prices. Where that goes from here, it's hard to know. There, it's obviously had the prices sort of come down, but it's, but it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things. I don't, and I'm not, not sort of a, I haven't done a massive amount of research on the Bitcoin side of things, um, so certainly have clients that are into that and we know we have to sort of know how to account for it when we have yeah all that type of thing yeah. but you see the insurance industry uh, doesn't know how to respond to things like cryptocurrency or uh, um, some of those uh, uh, new ways of doing business now uh, we're a bit slow on the uptake sometimes but the insurance industry uh, has some of their own ideas um, uh, for innovation for instance uh, um, well, for instance, with motor insurance, there's, uh, in Europe, there's a growing use of telematics um, where uh, the computer system connected to your car uh, uh, linked up to systems to show that uh, you know, you know, how, how fast you drive, you know, and if you're um, going at excessive speeds in uh, areas that you shouldn't be, and all that data's being recorded. Uh, through this uh, telematics uh, uh, systems, and and the uh, the idea being that uh, that uh, affects your premiums. So you know if uh, someone's sticking religiously to the speed limit and only drives ten thousand kilometres a, a year, they're considered a much lower risk than someone that drives uh, twenty to thirty thousand kilometres, uh, but tends to go over the speed limit a fair bit, and. Uh, so we're seeing innovations like that come into the insurance industry. So it, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, there was a, a Prime Minister that said that these are exciting times uh, to be living in and, and probably with all these different innovations and the new challenges, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they are exciting times because they, they, they someone wins uh, but someone loses on the other side. Mm. And, uh, it's a matter of, uh, for small businesses in particular, how we respond to those uh, uh, changes. Uh, some of them uh, we just can't afford. But I think um, one of the things I love uh, about being an insurance broker is the personal relationships um, that you have with your clients. Um, most people want to talk face-to-face. Yeah, relationships are, is, is, I mean, 18 years doing what I've been doing, but, you know, after a couple of years i found that it's all, it's all about relationships. Yeah. It's all about forming those relationships, and most of them will motor on and motor on and develop and flourish over a number of years, and whether they peak or go, but it's all about relationships when you're sort of dealing with a client and in business and, and yeah. that type of thing. And we certainly, when I look at my client base, you know, 15, 20% of those have been there since, you know, 18 years ago. So, I, so think, I think the compromise is to use innovation uh, to improve uh, services, bring down those administration costs, uh, be able to deliver things a lot Yeah, definitely. But I think people still want people to deliver that. Um, you, you hear 
that as a complaint uh, about call centres. talked about in the insurance industry that we'll all be replaced by robots and people have to <laughs> talk to robots. Well, I think people will be uncomfortable with doing that. Of course, that. yeah, exactly. And I think they want to deal with human beings. Now, we're, we're naturally people that like to engage with each other. Net networking is an example of that. You know, I don't do any networking with robots and, uh, no. uh, or anything like that, but um, um, people uh, want to deal with people and when I go to one of the Valley Chamber of Commerce functions, I, I see heaps of people engaging with other people uh, and getting to know people and uh, asking their advice or getting uh, um, tips on who to see or who to speak to. Uh, we've got this whole business community helping each other and I think people like that sort of thing and uh, I think they'd rather do that than... Uh, go to a, uh, um, a computer and mm. uh, ask the computer, oh, uh, who can I speak to about such and such. Yeah, no, uh, I didn't see you at the breakfast on Wednesday, you weren't there, were you, I don't think? No, I had something else, else yeah, on. Uh, yeah, I would have uh, liked to have gone uh, uh, to that, and that would have been interesting. And, uh, but it's a sort of, uh, the sort of events they've got coming up, I don't know if you read about the um, the festival, the sort of business festival that uh, Murray sort of yeah. Now planned and, and put some dates into the calendar in, into September, yeah. middle of September, I think. So yeah. um, that, that's like a King Street. He's going to yeah. bark off that, and it's going to be sort of between an expo and a festival, or a, you know, that yeah. it's going to be a bit of a mixture of both. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that comes about. Yeah, I think that'll be a fantastic event. Um, King Street's right next to the Ecker, so yeah, probably, and it's one of these developed. Uh, streets that's full of great restaurants and uh, and, and cafes and, uh, and and that's a, is that a fairly new sort of and that hasn't been around too long that little precinct has it is no. that sort of it's just fairly newly built and yeah um, the areas all around the Ekoa Eka are being slowly developed and it's uh, creating a, a new vibe and uh, a lot more people uh, moving into the area. Um, what, what did you think of the Valley Vision? You went to that lunch a few weeks back. Yeah, well, it's uh, one of those uh, uh, things that uh, really uh, is there for some people to think about. Uh, ultimately, uh, the Valley needs to attract investment and if people are on the same page about where they would like that investment to go or how they want to see it shaped, good to have a vision did it look it looked like it was going to be there's a lot of gr- a bit of greenery i mean well, i think the greenery is quite good but trying to get yeah. the i mean i like the whole idea of trying to get the city and the valley to sort of be in unison a lot more rather than have its backs to one another it's like you yeah. at the moment it's sort of a bit like you you've got one on the back of the other and it's sort of not really cohesion and i, I like to see yeah. some sort of i think the, the whole cohesion and modernness of and what needs to happen with the environment yeah, is yeah. what it's all about, I think. It, it is interesting the way the, there's a clear separation between uh, the uh, Fortitude Valley and the Brisbane CBD. Yeah, I've got, uh, um, in two weeks' time, I've got Di coming in to do the podcast, and uh, it's going to be yeah. interesting to have a bit of a chat to him because he's quite a lot involved in, in that whole Valley vision. And Yeah. 
Um, you, you, you sort of you know Dye fairly well over the years. You sort of spoken to him a few yeah, times. Yeah, no, he's a he's a he's a great bloke. Uh, always, uh, yeah, he's enthusiastic and positive about things. I, I mean, some of some of the time I look at some of the ideas that they've got for the future and how we'd like to develop the Valley Precinct and think, you know, am I, I going to be alive by the time that's finished? So um, it's interesting there. And that's been a noticeable difference uh, I've seen between Brisbane and uh, and Adelaide, where uh, you know. Um, I mean, I mean, you go to Adelaide. How often you go back to Adelaide? Because you've got family there and stuff. You go back there. Oh, probably only uh, average of once every two years. Yeah. Um, it uh, it is has been difficult to find time uh, out of the office when you run your own business. Um, which is something as a goal that Manny and I have uh, is to try and uh, uh, perhaps uh, take a holiday that's more than a couple of days in the future, uh, and uh, and that's a challenge. Uh, you know, if we have a uh, another broker come on uh, like Aiden, you know, we'd probably be in a better position to be able to uh, leave him in charge. Be able to take some time off. Yeah, no. Just looking at a venue on Wednesday morning, that was great. It's um, the Blackbird. Yeah. <laughs> You've been the Blackbird. That's a nice little. Yeah. Spot. Yeah. Uh, Shane Oliver, you, you know, he's the, he was the economist that was speaking. I mean, he was quite interesting. Yeah, I thought. He's from the AMP. Uh, yeah, he? he's from the yeah. AMP. So he, he was obviously been. AMP when I was uh, with the AMP, so it's been there a long time. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah, so let's see if there's anything else. Anything else that uh, you wanted to bring up at all in this in this beautiful podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But uh, thanks very much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about. Oh yeah, just a cut. Yes, um, you're one of the hundred faces of small business too. I remember uh, yep. that that being said as well. So tell me a bit about the hundred faces of small business. How did that come about? That was. Oh, the. Um uh, I, I subscribe to um, small business uh, emails that uh, come out, which uh, is quite useful. Um, and the state government uh, sent out an email saying that uh, they wanted to hear uh, about uh, inspiring stories about how a business started. And um, I basically told them about the fact that now I two lost my job uh, at two different places in 15 months, months yeah. and decided to start my own business and told that story and uh, a lot of what I've told you today and uh, and they felt that that was inspiring enough to uh, uh, name me one of the hundred and do you know the, and do you know any of the other 99 or no but they're quite diverse they're spread all over the state of Queensland in lots of different businesses so have a very diverse range of, uh, of, of, uh, of businesses. Um, we did have a function during the small small business week, and we got to meet uh, quite a few of them. And uh, the people that we got to um, meet the most were people that were from Mackay, um, small business people from Mackay. So uh, it, that was. Uh, picked a real diverse range of people from all over the state uh, and they put all their stories mm. onto a, 
small business website um, uh, so if someone's contemplating starting up a small business and wants to be inspired or hear other people's stories about how they did it, mm. um, then they can go to that site and uh, you know, uh, I don't know if they categorise into industry, but, uh, but basically setting up a, a small business uh, is a big challenge for everyone. And, uh, not all startups uh, survive. Uh, no, it's quite a high failure rate, but yeah. But uh, uh, these people perhaps might give you some ideas about how to make it successful, and what makes it work, and what they did to make it work. Mm. And uh, uh, it's quite a good initiative from the state government to try and encourage others. I mean, um, I love small business. Uh, Mandy and I make a point of going to markets each week and buying from the small businesses there and you know, do you get any in, what, what, what markets do you go to into in, in, uh, sorry markets in particular do you go to uh, Kelvin Grove uh, the ones over there that's Saturday or yeah, Saturday, yeah. yeah I think I've been there before that's yeah it's, it's quite good and uh, you know, we, we, yeah sometimes you you pay a bit more than the supermarkets but it's all about getting fresh food uh, as well. People that have actually grown it themselves, or, exactly. or selling it for someone they know yeah. grown it. And, they uh, get out of bed at you know four thirty a.m. on a Saturday. They get to the markets, put their stall up. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you you got to respect what they actually do to just to get the stall up and and oh, selling yeah. it to you on a, on a Saturday morning. You know. Well, there's people that uh, come all the way in from Stanthorpe. Yeah, they come from all these other other places as yeah. well, up, up the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, so we, we get uh, eggs and mushrooms from a guy from We always get eggs from the mush um, from the markets always good. Yeah. And uh, apples from the people from Stanthorpe and uh, and then they've got some nice little food trucks uh, there with different uh, nations foods and and, uh, um, and they're all small business. So we mentioned about we have at uh, Kedron Brook uh, business group meetings at different cafes um, yeah. in the area that's to support them and promote them uh, to uh, the people that come along to our breakfast and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not finding it easy at the moment um, also the villages so, so you're talking about the cafes are finding things a bit tough or yeah yeah because uh, people aren't, don't, don't have as much of that discretionary spending because the Wilson General, that used to, I think that sort of closed down. That was yeah. in a good spot, but you know, just not enough people going in there. I guess at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, Wilson General Cafe Conti, um, NoHo yeah. is closed. There's NoHo closed as well. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, and uh, yeah, sad, it's, isn't it? Yeah, we've, we've seen a, a Cafe Conti was a really good cafe. I like that one. Yeah, and across the road from our office. Uh, Brewmasters closed and up the road. Was that the, did Brewmasters close as well because of lack of trade or was it? Yeah, you just you know, you've, you've got to um, bring in more revenue than mm. you're paying out in expenses. You know, and expenses include staff and product and uh, uh, and uh, it's and with cafe owners as well, there's a pretty high burnout rate because they're usually there you know, ten to fourteen hours a day. Um, trying to uh, make the business work 
uh, as a whole. So there's burnout rates uh, um, high uh, for them. And uh, uh, so I, I, Mandy and I try to support them as much as possible and, and certainly uh, um, um, uh, the standard of food we, we've noticed has increased uh, uh, enormously since we moved to, uh, to Brisbane. Yeah. Restaurants and cafes that are uh, becoming world class, and uh, um, and if you don't use them, you'll lose them. And uh, um, and there's small business people like us. Uh, you know, there's there's not very many of them that are part of a, a big chain uh, um, uh, um, uh, or, or group, but uh, often even in that case they're franchises. And so. Yeah, we should all get out there and support all our local small businesses as much as possible. Mm. And because uh, um, the yeah, majority of businesses in this country are small business, and, um, and it's an important segment. You know, we, we've seen what's happened in the corporate sector with people like the banks and uh, and uh, uh, life insurance companies and so forth with. Uh, um, Various issues, you know, sort of that loss of control because they're probably too big. Um, the bureaucracies they build up, um, um, making them not easy to deal with. Uh, and yet, small business, quite often you're dealing with the owner of the business, and uh, they'll do everything they can to look after you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, small business rules. So, do you, I mean, with your uh, with your uh, kids and that, do you think they'd coming into the world um, do you think Brisbane is the right sort of world for them is the way Brisbane sort of going to shape up in the future do you think that's that's where yeah. they will most likely stay or do you, you don't know where they will ultimately it's, it's up to them but yeah. I think uh, Brisbane offers uh, a lot more than um, uh, any other city um, mm. you know, become very biased yeah um, uh, these days, and it's not just because of the fantastic people that are here, but you know, just look at the amount of uh, uh, building work that's going on, and the ideas to make things better, redevelop places. And it's got a, I mean, it's got a lot of beauty about it around the river, and yeah, uh, I mean, there's a, a period of our history where all the old buildings backed onto mm. the river. Uh, now they face the river proudly, and. Mm. Uh, um, and we should um, uh, be very proud of uh, uh, the opportunities uh, that we've got here because mm. uh, we'll all benefit from them. Uh, but that you know, takes people to, it's a two-way thing. Uh, I think uh, 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 my kids will, uh, um, uh, will uh, find it's the best option to, to stay here, but uh, look, uh, my parents moved from England and and I moved from Adelaide, so uh, uh, ultimately you know, we have a track record of moving to other places, mm. but it'll be up to them. So I, was just, I just found an event here that's, I think it's next Friday actually, uh, Third Space Presents Looking After Each Other Then and Now, um, Third Space Homelessness Organisation brings you a brilliant 
historical display of rare pictures and artefacts from the last hundred years of the Fortitude Valley life. Have you seen any of the, about this in about no, a week's time? But I'd be really interested. Uh, it's a free event. It's uh, next Friday, 6.30pm, um, 381 Brunswick Street, the Fortitude Valley. Trevor Evans is going to be there by the looks. Uh, it sounds very interesting when I, when I saw it come across my Facebook feed. Um, it might have been something from the Valley Chamber or from Trevor, I can't remember, but that, that sounds very interesting, um, because especially a bit, bit, a bit about the history of what, where things are at and that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I'm sort of all about history with the Valley now. Um, other sort of, with the Valley Chamber, what we've got come, upcoming, uh, the next meet and mingle at the end of this month is Welcome to Bowen Hills. Um, you've been to that venue before, that's up near the Ecker yep. on King Street. Um, winning Appliances is the month after that. At the end of September, the festival, which we just spoke about before, that's going to be on next month. Obviously, in the meantime, we've got the Ecker next week. Um, we're both going to be busy at the Ecker, uh, yeah. doing our thing, doing our thing for the community. Um, and also, I mean, one thing I saw coming up at the start of September, which I'll be going to, is Big Sound. That's um, a bit of a festival event music sort of thing in the valley. Um, do you still play the guitar? Are you still doing that? Yeah, yeah. I still play the guitar. Enjoy it. I, um, I don't get to play as much as I'd, I'd like to, but uh, um, but uh, yeah, I, I still make sure I get it out for uh, well at least an hour a week uh, and play. Yeah. Uh, the fingertips have remained pretty tough, tough skin there. So um, otherwise they'd go soft and uh, um, and not as pleasant to play. Yeah, still play the guitar. Anyway, that's been nearly 90 minutes, Mr. Robert Cooper. It's, uh, oh, that went quick. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I, t I told I told the audience you you could certainly uh, you could certainly talk, and that's what you've we've done here today. You certainly talked a bit about your life, a bit about insurance, uh, a bit about how we feel things are going here in Brisbane. Just a few bits and pieces, and that's uh, been great. And I'm glad to have you on, and certainly uh, feel the need to bring you back. I certainly will whenever you want to come back. You know, it's. Uh, yeah. It's nice of you to invite me, Tim, and great initiative you've got going here. No, that's that's excellent. So, um, you know, all the best, and have a great weekend, Robert, and uh, say hello to Mandy for us. No worries. And, um, yeah, thanks very much to all the listeners. Uh, we'll, we'll try to see you again in another week. Thank you very much. Okay. That's uh, been From the Valley Podcast. Tim Wilshere with uh, Robert Cooper. So thank you very much.